Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we'll be breaking down our Cracked Rackets top 10 preseason rankings entering the 2024 dual match season, of course. How thrilling it feels to be about a month away from the start of another college tennis season. We are so excited to roll out all of our coverage throughout the course of the year. We have some new additions we're excited to announce. And again, we got plenty of time to do that over the course of the next month. That said, again, what we want to do on these shows for all of you listeners is set the scene for what you can expect at the top of the college tennis world this year. We want to break down our top 10 teams with some depth. We want to get into their 2023 seasons. We want to talk about the returners, new additions. Did anyone have a breakout fall? Is that reflected in the current ITA rankings. And then, again, we get to have some fun. Who's the most valuable point? What's the ceiling? What's the floor? What are the schedule opportunities? That's the agenda on each of our pregame shows, or excuse me, our preseason preview podcasts. And I promise I'll stop saying that so frequently as we continue to progress through our rankings. That said, that's the agenda. And on today's night show, excuse me, joining me once again is a man all of you know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, a man who was so talented in this business, he started his own. He's got the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, which I am certain many of you college tennis fans tune into as well. Of course, in these parts, we know him as our dear friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. You ready to talk number nine, Texas? I am. We are fully in the throes of it. Yeah, we're a month out now from those very early January matches. So I'm excited. I'm fresh off of a binge of Squid Games. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it's up your alley, but player 301 could absolutely be a Gruskin brother. Just check that out <laughs> offline uh, if you haven't gotten that already. But yeah, I'm excited to talk Texas. You are correct. I am aware of Squid Games, all it constitutes. It is not a show I have taken the time to watch, but I'll check out 301 for you. I will ask, are you a member of the Gruskin family holiday card list? If not, is it time to add you here in 2023? I have not received one, so okay. unless it's a surprise, but... Here's what I'll say. There are coaches who know who they are that are on the list right now. And I talk to you far more frequently than I would say any of them. And so it is time for you to be added to the list. Get ready to see that card. It's not going to you're not going to get it until late December, early January, because my brothers and I won't be 
reassembled until late December in Florida, and that's when we'll do our photo shoot or whatever it is it may be. But I'll be sure to add you to the card, and maybe we'll post it on Twitter if I can think of something funny to do in the next month with my brothers. That said, holiday card not the agenda. Again, number nine, Texas, our topic for today's show. And if you missed our preview of number 10, Florida, or our corresponding previews on the men's side of things, all you got to do is scroll down in the Great Shot podcast feed. They're all going to be housed on this platform. So again, if you're not already subscribing, by the way, if you are subscribed and haven't left a review, go do that. It's been too long since I've seen that GSP review feed updated. I want to hear your thoughts on our preview shows, if there are any other topics you'd like us to dive into throughout the course of this preseason. We can make that an opening at some point in one of these preview shows. That said, no opening today. Let's get right into it. Let's talk number nine, Texas, a team that obviously has taken a jump. Now, again, Texas is another one of those teams that have multiple titles in college tennis history and had those titles even prior to 2021. And, you know, again, that's why I say they have reemerged at the top of the women's game, because certainly this is a program that never saw the floor fall out from underneath them. But obviously the run they went on winning NCAA titles 2021, 2022 in particular, that 2022 team, the way they just continued to improve throughout the course of the season, the way Peyton Cerns in 18 months has gone from NCAA singles champion to top 50 player. Things are rolling for this Texas program right now, and it's with that context that we look back at the 2023 season, a season that, you know, again, saw them lose some significant pieces from their two prior title runs. Perhaps most significantly is the absence of Stearns, who begins her pro career, and we all see how wonderful that has gone. Not only a top 50 ranking, second week of the U.S. Open, tour-level finals for her as well. She is killing it, and she's been a dear friend to us here at Crack Rackets. We've been fortunate to chat with her throughout that 18-month stretch show. Shout-out to Peyton. Shout-out to Texas Women's Tennis. They also lose Kylie Collins, uh, who transferred from Texas to uh, LSU. They lose, um, I'm blanking, was it? It's not the, the Zamaripa Yeah, sisters. I was going to say, I know it's a Z, and it's a set of twins, the Zamaripa sisters, thank you, who ultimately turned pro over their freshman year. But look, this is a team with a real nucleus coming uh, that came back last season. When you bring back a Shavatapan, when you bring back a Rapalu, players who have been a part of that uh, championship DNA building that this Texas team has gone through when you have someone like a Vivian Uvarutsky, like a Sabina Zainalova, who were part of that second championship as well going into their sophomore season. Again, there was some continuity there, even if the top of their lineup had disappeared. But then you talk about the additions. Again, Nicole Kieran, 16-6 and six at the top spot for any freshman to perform that well. It's about the best you can expect out of them. You had Nicole Rivkin as well, 15-7 and seven in the bottom half of the lineup. You know, again, this team had a lot of pieces. This team was extraordinarily talented. Marley Zane was there for the first few months as well. Is this team's record 24-5 and five, NCAA quarterfinalists? You look at what they did in the Big 12. I believe they were ultimately a share of the regular season championship, but then go on to win the Big 12 championship. Did they overperform, underperform, or get things just right in 2023? 
You know, we were higher on this team coming into the 2023 season. We had them at number two. Yes, they lost key additions like Peyton Stearns, Kylie Collins, Azamaripas, like you mentioned, but they brought in so many new faces. And if any of these teams have been able to bring in new faces and have immediate success, it's Texas. Look at that 2021 squad, five freshmen in that starting lineup. So we didn't really knock them for that. And we were still high on having Charlotte Shavathapan, Sabina Zainalova, members of that 2022 run. And Charlotte was a member of that 2021 run. I think in the immediate aftermath of the season, I would say it was a slight underperformance given the expectations we might have had for them to continue those sort of winning ways, winning back-to-back NCAA titles. In hindsight, I feel like this was just right. I feel like it was probably too high of an ask to integrate all of those pieces, lose such a dominant force at number one in Peyton Stearns. And really, they did exactly what we had seen in the past few years from Texas. They started a little bit slow. And then by April and May, they were really playing their best tennis. They win the Big 12 championship. And then they made the final site. They push UNC 4-2 and a really good match. So I think this was just right for this Texas team. I think that's an excellent answer. And have I gone back and listened to our preseason podcast from last year? I have not. I feel like I was not as high on Texas as some of the other members voting in our preseason poll. And it was for precisely that reason. You knew that this team had a lot of options, four, five, six in the lineup. And, you know, again, looking back at the stats, that's what was so interesting is, you know, 19 and seven at four, 17 and five at five, which was their best position, 16 and seven at six. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen last year for this Texas roster, and it felt like they never figured out the best combination there. And then, you know, again, did they have the top-level juice to compete with the best of the best in those big national events? We were both at the indoors, Jay. That this team went 2-1 and one at the indoors was kind of a shock because they felt really out of sorts. And you could just tell this was a team trying to figure out its doubles pairings. Now, by the way, they ultimately played just nine doubles pairings last year, which really isn't that high when you think about it. It was a team with an extraordinarily amount of uh, high level of talent, and yet, again, I think it was one of those teams where they could have had anyone play one through six on any given day, and for a team like that, where you have that sort of depth, you should make the final site. They made the final site. They played a fantastic match, maybe the best match of the round of 16 that sadly no one saw uh, against Pepperdine, clinched by a Malika Rapalu, who is certainly the most improved player on the roster last season, 17-6 and six in dual match play. She played up and down the roster, and we've seen that translate into the fall, which is something we'll certainly discuss later in this episode. But to your point, for most teams... When you lose one and two off of a back-to-back national championship winning team, results are going to dip a little bit. This team still won its conference, a conference last year that, by the way, had four really, five really good teams. I'm going to throw Oklahoma State in there, but uh, or maybe four, and that's who the fourth was. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State. There Iowa we go. State. Yeah, my four teams. Be confident in yourself, Alex. I need to, Howard to coach me through this preseason podcast. I'm going to struggle at the beginning, be very good at the end quarterfinals feels just right. And if you're a Texas fan, I also don't think you're disappointed in last season either, given how many new faces there were. And, you know, again, you beat your rival, Oklahoma, I think, and every every time you played them, like, you 
it was a good season for Texas State. You win the conference, you make the final site, you lose to the national champion 4-2. Yeah, and when you look at those winning percentages, they're all very similar across the board. There's very little volatility. You might have maybe one position some seasons where you're you know, at a 90% win percentage, another one you're batting 500. Other than maybe number two for them last season, everything was very consistent. And that is emblematic of the fact that they just had a lot of pieces. Maybe you didn't figure out exactly where to put all of them. They also didn't have that Peyton Stearns at number one to anchor this sort of lineup. So I thought this team performed as you would expect from them, play their best tennis. Uh, and I thought both that win over Pepperdine in the Sweet 16 and then pushing North Carolina, they ended on a pretty good note here. 24 and 5 overall is a nice record to have. Again, who are the losses to? Iowa State made the final site. 5 2 Stanford at home might be a bad loss because it's a home match, but made the final site. Oklahoma State 4 3 at home. That's the one they want back. That's probably the only match they want back from the season. 5 2 at NC State. 4 2 against North Carolina, where again they win the doubles point in that NCAA quarterfinal. Some funky doubles lineups for North Carolina. Looking back at that match, that was the Crawley Forbes, uh, Scotty Tangillig, Brant Meyer, Tran doubles lineup that North Carolina rolled back that day. What will otherwise be a footnote in their national championship run. But yeah, I I think just right feels about right in assessing the 2023 Texas team. Now, what makes it so fascinating in looking at the 2024 edition of this roster, it's not the exact same transition. Losing Stearns and Collins cannot be the same and compared as losing uh, freshman Nicole Kieran, who again, 16-6 and in dual match play was very good, but Peyton Stearns was an NCAA singles champion. Still, they bring back five of their six starters from last season and you know, again, we can get into the returners, not the most freshman-oriented new class for this Texas team, but in terms of replacing Nicole Karen, who transfers over to Texas A&M, you could argue they did exactly that, fill that hole in the roster in bringing over Tanya Sasnaskaya from Old Dominion. Uh, Sasnaskaya, of course, a top 50 player uh, during her time playing in the top single spot there. What do you look at? What what stands out to you most when you look at this roster? Is it the experience? Like, isn't that the first thing that jumps out? Is that everyone in this lineup will have played north of twenty at least college matches? Yeah, it's very experienced, and it reminds me of Florida's roster, which chatted about in the number ten spot there. In that all of these players are very experienced. These Texas players, though, you have national championship winning caliber players on that team who have that experience, who have gone all the way, like a Shavathapan, like a Zainalova. So it's a very experienced uh, team. And this is the senior year for that freshman class that won that 2021 title, including Shavathapan and Rapalu. So uh, a ton of experience on this roster. You mentioned bringing in Sasnaskaya. She's a fifth year, so she has a lot of experience playing in college tennis. And then the one new addition that we are expecting to see in January will really be their one likely to contribute freshman, which is Charlotte Kempenaire's poach of Australia, former junior, number 35, high of WTA 760. And There's a lot of unknown with uh, Charlotte, I think. She's been out really since injury, since 2022. She saw played a little bit this summer, but big question marks for her uh, and what level she comes in at. Absolutely. Here's the list of teams that have won three championships in a four-year span. Stanford. That's the list, folks. 
Florida's never done it. Now, they've won two in a three-year span. They've won back-to-back titles. They've never won three in a four-year span. And so that is what's at stake for Shavathapan, for uh, Malika Rapalu. And, you know, again, these are players who had really solid seasons looking back at last year. Rapalu, 17-6, and six, coming anywhere from two through six in the lineup. But again, winning that clinching match over Pepperdine, I believe, at the number five or four spot, whatever it may be. Because it, it couldn't have been three, right? Because Brodus ended up winning in three sets. I remember that celebration. It might have been against him, Chaiwat, at four. Anyways, Rapalu. It was at, against uh, Radulek. Okay, so it was five. At there five. You go. So, yeah. again, trust the instincts, Alex. Get confident here. But, again, great record there. Someone we haven't talked about yet, Taya Pachkaleva, who transferred over from Pepperdine, fully recovered from that ACL injury, 17-5 and five last season. Again, to ask her to replicate that, where she played primarily at the four spot, tough ask to ask someone, hey, lose five matches over the course of the year, and yet that's probably your expectations coming in for this Texas team because, you know, as much as that addition of Sass and Sky, and I guess let's talk about that first, B, and before we move on to the rest of the machinations and the questions we have about this lineup, uh, I was just to get a smile out of Jay. If you listened to our previous podcast, you'll understand why that joke was necessary. Um, how big of an addition is that? Like, does she walk in with everyone expecting her to play one? Maybe a few months ago, but after her fall, I'm not sure. I think certainly you could have chalked it up to an even trade. You lose Kieran, you bring in Sasnaskaya. That's certainly how I felt about the addition. Uh, once we learned that Kieran would be leaving and they'd get Sasnaskaya, and I thought, okay, you know, that feels like a pretty even replacement. I think she's been a little underwhelming this fall, to the point where I feel like their one is going to, if they can go a similar record to what Kieran did last year, that's probably as good as they're going to get at number one. Yeah, and I do think it becomes a little bit of an open question because other than Malika Rapalu, who was the breakout player of the fall, I mean, she goes 17-3 and three overall, uh, leads the team and wins by a significant margin there and kind of reaffirms, hey, what we saw from her last season at the bottom of the lineup, that was real. Like If you're dominating at 4, 5, and 6 to that extent against quality Big 12 competition week in, week out, getting a win in a round of 16 over Pepperdine to clinch for your team, you know, again, the next step is do it again in the fall. That's what she certainly did. You know, the rest of the records, and it's fall results, so you take it all with a grain of salt. And after watching how this Texas team has peaked in particular at NCAAs over the past few seasons, you're never going to bet, bet against a Coach Howard Joffe-led squad. But Sasnaskaya, 8-6. and six. Rivkin, 3-2. and two. You would have loved to see her make a big jump in a sophomore campaign. Now, again, how much do injuries play a factor? You never know. But Pachkaleva, 3-4. and four. Shavatapan, 7-7. Seven and seven. Uvrutsky, 11-6. and six. This team has players in the rankings, and I'll get into that in a second. But I guess, A, do you qualify Rapalu's fall as a breakout fall, B, uh, J, and B? I, I went with B before J. That's funny. In my head, J. And B, like... Are you concerned that that this team, again, 50-34, and 34, pretty standard fall for the Longhorns? So a few things. I feel like Malika Rapalu always has a great fall, <laughs> and then it's a question of if she translated it to the spring results. Certainly this is her best fall that she has had, but she has always played really well uh, in these 
in these fall tournaments. So I don't really put a lot of stock into it. It's great that she's playing well. Uh, she played well last fall as well. Again, that translated to a very solid season for them at the back half of the lineup. So that feels like a wash. I think it is just good to see Vivian Avrutsky back on the tennis court. She redshirted last season after her freshman year in 2022. So even though the record might not be that outstanding, good that she's back playing matches. And then the last thing is that Texas never seems to take the college fall that seriously other than Malika Rapalu. So it's really tough to read into these results. I think the biggest disappointment for me was uh, Nicole Rifkin, as you mentioned, three and two. She had a really great pro summer. She was out there playing a lot of ITF events and had some good wins like the 25K and 40K level. So that was a disappointment to see those results not translate. And then not necessarily disappointment, but just a big concern is Sabina Zainalova didn't play at all in the fall. She has been an absolute rock for them. She had to pull out of the NCAA individual tournament with injury. So that to me is also a big question. So there are definitely questions about this team after the fall. But to your point, they always play their best tennis in May. It's very similar to the Virginia men, I feel like, in that regard. So it's really tough to read too much into it. Three ranked players, Cessna Skies at 20, Rapalu 17 and 3. Uh, excuse me, 17 and 3 is her record. She's at 40, 45, 46, 45. Good reading, Alex. Shavatapan 106 in the singles rankings. Now, yeah, that's fine. Like, does it really matter at this point? No, it will start to matter much more when the NCAA singles are played in the fall next season. But to your point, I don't think anyone had a breakout fall. Like, Rapalu was great. It's not like she made a semifinal at the All-Americans or a semis at the Fall Nats and knocked out a top five on equivalent, beat a Stoyana or beat a Crawley even to really make a push to say, hey, maybe I should be playing the number one spot. At the same time, to your point, Sasnaskaya didn't do anything to make you think, oh, it's for sure a better option than a Zainalova who's in shape and in form and you know, again, who's lost, I think, fewer than 10 dual matches in her career. Shavatapan, the senior, is it her time to take a leap forward and play in that top spot? Give her that role. I think these are all legitimate lineup questions you still have coming out of the fall. I will say, little nugget, I suppose, of success. Their two ranked teams are Shavatapan and Sasnaskaya, who went one in three in the fall, at least according to this update you had. Uh, uh, excuse me, Patchkleva and Rivkin, who went two and one, Sasnaskaya and Zainalova, who went five and two. You look at the current ITA rankings; they are twenty-two and forty-six, respectively. You have that those two teams, then Avrutsky and Rapalu, who did go nine and four. Here's what I'm saying: it's foundation to at least start with. When you have a lot of pieces and two teams ranked, a third team with the most wins, you say, okay, maybe this is a founding block. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I think they have a lot of players. I mean, this team, I think, goes eight deep with the addition of Charlotte Kempenaire's poach. And they'll have to just find what the right lineup is in singles and certainly the right pairings and doubles. Yeah. Who's the MVP? The most valuable point that swing player in the lineup you think dictates what level this team ultimately rises or falls or sits in? To me, it's Charlotte Shavathapan. I think that this is someone who has uh, underwhelmed 
from the freshman season where I certainly had a lot of expectations for her moving into her collegiate career. And when you look specifically at the 2023 season with the absence of Peyton Stearns and Kylie Collins, she had to move up. She was playing mostly at number two there. And when we talk about that winning percentage, she was a little bit of the weak link. Now, it wasn't horrible, but I think ultimately she has the she has the size, she has the game style that could really translate to being a top player in college. This is her final year, and so I think her success will probably determine how strong this Texas team is. It's a great argument. Obviously, that first season, she loses, what, one match from a set and a breakup against Scotty and you know didn't lose other than that. The next year was really shaky at the start, then found her footing as she went a little lower down the lineup last season again. What it was in sixteen and eight overall record, eleven and seven at two. You're right. If that record can go from fifteen and eight, which is what the team was at the number two position, to say seventeen and six, even man, does it become that much harder to find three singles victories against them? And again, at the end of the year, they take a doubles point against the UNC team that was, yeah, playing around with its doubles lineup. But the way Howard Joffe just always has his team buying in, the way they're roaring Texas uh, across courts, like they play loose. And that that matters in, in finding consistency at every singles position for this team down the home stretch. Boy, does it just become that much more daunting to knock them off. And I do think you can make the case that Shavatapan was probably the least consistent contributor that they have returning uh, from last season. You mentioned that top spot, 19, uh, and Sasnaskaya, Shavatapan, perhaps who jumps into it. Last year, they went 19-6 and six overall at number one. That's really good. Like that's very, very good. And you know, again, to make the quarterfinals, make a final site push, that's kind of the minimum you need to have. Like we know that NCA singles final site matches are decided four, five, sixth. Who has the depth? But getting through the slog of everything else, oftentimes it really helps to have the best player on the court. And it will be fascinating to see again, given their peers in the conference like who's the best player for Oklahoma State this year who's the definitive number one probably Komar or maybe it's Obi like you probably take them over Assassin's Guy or whomever it is at the one spot do you take a Guzman a Shusherbina over Assassin's Guy over Shavatapan at the number one spot I think that becomes an interesting question it's just if they can be that good at number one again they probably win the conference. They probably end up as a top eight seed. And I do think the winner of the Big 12 ends up as a top eight seed. Am I, yeah, again, it, pretty unequivocally. I, it, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm going to go with that top spot. Like, again, I think I've done that now on two straight episodes, and I apologize for that. I'll get more creative as we go ahead. But that's the biggest question to me because I guess that in six. Like, last year, they weren't that good at six. 16 and seven. They kind of had to cycle through options. Can they settle on a six? How quickly does that happen? Does it compromise continuity? Like, those are the big questions, the corners of the lineup. Yeah, well, it's. I don't think it's a coincidence that you choose top spot for both Florida and Texas because yeah, sure. I, I feel like we think both of these teams should have very strong records at five, six. And the question is, can they be just very good at one. So, yeah, I think it was disappointing for them that lower half of the lineup because you would like to see the pendulum start to swing more in the winning percentage column for those bottom spots. And if they are truly eight deep, then that should absolutely be the case this year. 
What's their ceiling? Let's start there. We talk about that eight deep. Again, there's just going to be some teams, four, five, six. Texas is going to steamroll you on the right days when if everyone's healthy. And again, if it's, let's say we're projecting their top three and it is Sasnaskaya, Shavatapan, and we'll say Pachkaleva is in that number three spot. Again, if it's Rivkin, if it's Rapalu, uh, excuse me, Zainalova is in that three spot. And then Pachkalena. Uh, Pachleva, Rapalu, Rivkin, four, five, six. That is a daunting, daunting bottom three. And any for any singles te- uh, team to overcome in singles, I feel like maybe we should start with the floor conversation actually, because right there that talks me into this is a team that's hosting at least the first two rounds. Well, and you're also, I think, ignoring Charlotte KP, which is the nickname sure. I'm going to call her by. And to me, she for our listeners, we tell them a little more about her. Yeah, so um, her last name is Kempaneris Post. She's yeah. from Australia. She top 35 junior in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't, a lot of those results came in 2021, 2022. We haven't seen her in action. I know she suffered a pretty significant injury. So uh, I saw some of her match in August, and it was sort of like the power of Rivkin, but the movement of Pashkaleva. It was sort of the, there was a lot of work to be done uh, over these next few months. So I have no idea sort of how she'll show up in Austin, but really beautiful ball striker, hits a big ball. So in some ways, I could see a world where she, by May, starts to move up towards that top of the lineup. Maybe not one, but then you start to push down a lot of those players. And there's a world where Shavataman is back at three, Zainalova's at four. Now it gets really scary for how strong this Texas team can be. In terms of the floor... I think the floor is Sweet 16. I I don't really have a hard time seeing this team fall out of the Sweet 16. And really, I think anything less than quarterfinal would be probably considered an underperformance. Yeah. I mean, again, this team certainly is going to have a runway to put itself in a top eight conversation, not only with the fact that they are the reigning conference champions in the Big 12, something I know they're not going to give up easily. But you look at their kickoff weekend. It's actually fascinating from a rankings perspective. They bring in number 24, Florida State, number 35, SMU, number 36, Baylor. But I believe all of those teams are losing some pretty significant pieces from last season. So you would expect Texas to progress to the national indoors. And, you know, again, beyond that, looking at the schedule, they've got back-to-back away matches at UCLA, at USC, if they write the ship out on the on the west coast not a guarantee let's be clear but if they do manage to do that things get interesting there beyond a national indoors appearance georgia's on the schedule they're coming to austin they're going to stanford they're bringing auburn to austin this year as well it's a fun little cycle it's a fun road schedule put together for the longhorns and again they'll certainly have the opportunities to sort things out from a lineup perspective, which is the biggest question. You've got eight players for six spots, and everyone can make a pretty good claim to just about any position. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really fun schedule for Texas. It's the first time they'll have played Georgia since 2018 indoors, which is Mm. pretty crazy thinking about how successful both teams have been since then. So uh, I'd like to see that addition And it's a good schedule despite having to also add in the new members of the Big 12. So like a Houston, a Cincinnati, a BYU, those 
teams might not be that competitive against Texas, but they've still managed to keep some of their longstanding matches like a Stanford and add in some new ones as well. So they'll get a lot of reps before they really need to be peaking in uh, in May. And it's also worth noting that NCAAs at Oklahoma State, that's a place that all of this Texas team will be very familiar with. In fact, they'll go to Oklahoma State because this past season that Oklahoma State match was in Austin. So they'll be very familiar in Stillwater. I forgot to mention they also have Wisconsin on the schedule. You know I have a soft spot for all things Wisconsin. So that's a match. They also, by the way, add at UCF, right? Coming into the Big 12. They are now yeah. on the schedule for Texas this year. And Coach Kenyeko always has those nights. Sneaky, sneaky good. But yeah, you mentioned it. Oh, actually, interesting. Big 12 match against Oklahoma State, home match for Texas this year. Maybe that's just due to some of the new additions. But Texas Mm. is a home match. Oklahoma, a home match as well. Uh, Again, those are probably pretty big delta between those three and everyone else, I would say, in the Big 12 this year, Jay. So you would expect it to be a three-team race. But am I missing someone? Well, I just think, I mean, that's weird, right? Because Oklahoma State and Oklahoma were at Texas last year. So you're right. It must be the addition of the new schools throwing off the n- normal rotation of home and away it's every other tw- year. It's the Big 12 thing. Please stay. Like, just please stay. <laughs> just give us one more year. We'll give you home matches for the rest. Um, yeah, because obviously, by the way, they're moving to the SEC next year. Like, this is Texas's last time with a Big 12 schedule. It's going to be so fun to watch, like, Texas-Florida, Texas-Georgia, Texas, all these teams each and every season. And, again, in terms of ceiling, what needs to happen? Like, Sassis guy has had some pretty good pro results. Uh, you know, again, we've seen Zainalova be really good. Can she take another leap forward and be that good in a top two position in a singles lineup? Maybe force a Shavatapan down further where we know how successful she has been in her career. What is the ceiling of this team? Because I think we've established it feels like the floor with the veterans, the experience they have. It's pretty darn high. Yeah, you don't have to do much convincing for me to say that the ceiling for this team is semifinals. I think this team can be really good. The best version of it is with uh, Charlotte KP really clicking, I think, because then you have a lot of options. If there's a world where you have Zayna Lova, who's hardly ever lost matches at three, at three, you move Shavathpa maybe down to four. Rivkin has been very strong on the ITF circuit. And then you have your choice of Pachkaleva or Rapalu at six. Like there's more experience in that bottom half of the lineup than some of the teams that we have ranked above them right now. So if all of these players click, and the thing is, is that we've seen a lot of these players click in different circumstances, maybe just all at once, this team can be darn good. It's fascinating because, and we talked about this in our opening preview show, this is the team with the biggest delta in our preseason rankings. Someone had them as high as five. Another person had them as low as 14. And I guess I just want to discuss that one more time. Why would someone have them as low as 14 in your mind, Jay? I don't know who voted them at 14, but I I don't know. I do, but again— uh, yeah, uh, integrity. Th- yeah, no, I'm not asking for the name, but I mean, did they know that Charlotte KP was arriving? Did 
I, at 14 is I feel criminal. I think this <laughs> team is super talented and they've proven each year. I mean, they back to back NCAA championship. They lose all those pieces. They still come back, make the quarterfinals. Now we have a team that keeps almost all of those pieces. I, I don't know why you would have them at 14. I guess the, to me, no. I imagine the argument is what's the difference between them and a Florida? What's the difference between them and an Auburn? What's the difference between them and all these teams who, you know, again, have all of this institutional know-how and knowledge and some experience and maybe had some flashier results at the tops of their lineups, either in the fall or over the course of the pro summer but yeah, I, I mean, again, it, well, I, yeah, I, there's massive deltas between like a Texas and an Auburn, right? Like Auburn's never, you know, with exactly. this squad the made difference. the quarterfinals. And right now, even on paper, this Texas team goes eight deep. Auburn doesn't go eight deep, yeah. uh, you know, so not to pick on Auburn, but I just think that there's a lot more. I would experience. argue Auburn might go eight deep, but that's a conversation perhaps for a different time. Sorry, carry on. They, they don't go this eight deep. They, you know, they're not going, you know, are you playing Rapalu or Pachkaleva? Well, the, or yeah, the difference is they're deep in the sense that they have a play or, you know, again, Bennett, Okatoye, all these players got some serious experience, but not to, I, I don't, they just, the results have not been their, as good. No, but those aren't their seven and eight. Bennett yeah, and Okatoye true. are probably playing three through five this season, right? You're talking like Ovon, Kansari, Arsenault, like that's the thing. Four through six. I'm talking. About who, who would be Texas's seven and eight? It is going to be someone like Uvrutsky, Pachkaleva, yeah. Rapalu, Charlotte KP. Like that. I guess it, is, it depends how good the Auburn freshmen are. Like if they deliver pretty quickly. But they're not, Gruskin. They're yeah. not playing seven and Look, eight. You're right. No, no, no. In the lineup, I'm no. talking about play Texas's seven and eight versus Auburn seven and eight. Okay. Texas's wins two zero in that match every time. I'm just looking at the Auburn roster real quick because I want to be more properly armed. Ansari, Arsenault, Carnicella, Flack, Okatoye, Ovunk, Despain comes in, Kogan, the freshman. I don't think I said Bennett yet. Again, I agree. Like, Texas is nine. Well, I guess, spoiler alert, Auburn's not eight or seven. You'll find out who those teams are as we release these episodes. I'm just saying... And then we, we said this in our established preseason show, like there is still real, sometimes COVID related depth on the women's side that you just don't see on the men's side anymore. And I imagine that would be the argument is there are still a lot of teams with depth and said voter has questions about the top of Texas's lineup. But to your point, I would lean more towards that. No way they're making it less than the round of 16. And if they do win the Big 12 and they're a top eight seed, hard to see this team losing a home match because evidence the Pepperdine match that we saw last year despite losing regular season affairs. What's your schedule inflection match? What's the one that will tell you what you need to know about this team? You know, I actually don't think there's an inflection match because we've learned a few things about the Texas team over the years, and it doesn't matter really how they look in February. So it's hard to be like, oh, the Stanford match or the Georgia. I mean, those are just too early for this squad. So, I mean, the, the inflection match is how do they look at the Big 12 championships? Because each year that's told us how far they're going to go. So well, let's revisit the Texas conversation at the Big 12 tournament. You're right, but Auburn's the answer because it's right after the national indoors. It's probably outdoors in Texas 
Texas comes out and beats Auburn comfortably, like now you start to think, okay, it's a new Texas again. That's one that's fascinating to me because, again, if Texas beats them comfortably, maybe they're a tier higher than you think. If Auburn wins that match, now you start to see this Auburn team. You think, can they compete and sniff around with the A&Ms and Georgias of the world at the top of the SEC rankings, the Floridas, et cetera? If you, if you want to be a top eight seed, by the way, Texas, win that match against Auburn. Get all the SEC points that come with it as well. Obviously, there's a Georgia match in Austin before the national indoors that's pretty com- uh, important as well, but we'll talk Georgia when we talk Georgia. I think that Auburn match tells me you beat them comfortably in Austin, maybe you're closer to Tier 2 than a relegated Tier 3 that number 9 in the preseason rankings and outside of the final site might otherwise indicate. So that's the inflection match for me, but other than that, again... That's your 2024 Texas Longhorns, a team with a lot of experience, a lot of depth, a lot of similarities to last year's team, Jay. That's my takeaway from this preview coming off of this, If I think, if I'm a Texas fan, is, hey, similar questions, but we can expect probably similar successes as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. The difference is that now you have a year of getting the maximizing the talent that you have from that squad a year later. So I think assuming all eight of these players that we've talked about are there in January playing for Texas, I think this team can be very, very good. I think we, I think they might be appropriately ranked, but I, I mean, just a lot of really known quantities. I would not be surprised for this team to make another deep run in 2024. Well, there it is, folks. The 2024 Texas Longhorns, number nine in our Crack Rackets preseason rankings. That said, that'll do it for this edition of the show. Now, again, Jay and I will be back on, I believe, Friday this week because Chris is back. And so we're alternating days, et cetera, with our number eight team in our preview. Of course, if you miss anything, you can catch up on it all. Just scroll down to the Great Shot podcast feed. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any episodes. We always interject with fun things when they occur. And certainly it's December. There will be a surprise or two and we will be prepared for it here on this podcast. Of course, if you're looking for additional college content, Go check out the No Ad No Problem podcast as well, where, Jay, I know you continue to kill it. Talk me through what you got on the horizon for all of our listeners. Well, we have the uh, Cannon Kingsley interview that uh, is just released. So excited to chat with. It's been exciting to chat with him. Uh, also going to chat with Mike Cation, the, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, the voice of Challenger Tennis. So excited to get his thoughts specifically on how college players adapt and transition to the Challenger ranks, what he has seen work, what hasn't worked. So some fun conversations and, of course, preseason content. Yeah, well, we are looking forward to listening to all of it. Of course, if you haven't already, go like, rate, subscribe, review the No Ad, No Problem podcast. And be sure to check out the blog as well, because every so often, you never know if the fingers might start working for Jay again. That said, a thank you to, oh, is that a no? Uh, it might be some tendonitis in the fingers. It's been a while. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, again, a thank you to you. A thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, as well, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A thank you, of course, to all of you listeners who tune in as well. We appreciate your support. As again, we get very excited for the start of another college tennis season. With that said, though, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both 
Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.